The funny thing about impossible is that it's only impossible if you make it so. This is my conversation with Elizabeth Lewis. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny Podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Repun. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. My guest today is Elizabeth Lewis. She's a performance neuropsychotherapist. And I don't throw that term around loosely. In fact, I think we're going to get into a little bit the various terminologies, coaching, therapy, all the different things that people try to break through and change their mindset. Elizabeth works with high-performance individuals, athletes, entrepreneurs, anybody who's truly ambitious and really wants to achieve that champion warrior mindset. So, Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Hearst. That was such a great introductory. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. Okay, well, let's start with champion warrior mindset. I love it, and it jumped out at me when we met because it suggests that we're in a battle. And that life is a kind of a battle. So where did that all light a fire for you? Well, you said it pretty much right on there. For me, I just started to pay attention to like the super athletes and how maybe they didn't have the best skills, but their mindset is what made them go through. And then we've heard that, or at least I've heard that so much about how, you know, success is 80% psychology. It's your attitude, it's your behaviors, it's your perspective, and it's 20% strategy. And I came from a really like crappy childhood, like many of us. And I was like, man, I want to be better. Like I want to reach my full potential. And so I started studying it and observing people because I'm just naturally an observer. And I'm, I'm blessed to know a handful of individuals who truly walk this, this champion psychology. And it's just amazing where they are in life and how much further they are, not just psychologically, but even like professionally and career wise by just developing this champion psychology. And so that's kind of where it started. And I just have this natural gift of like helping people improve themselves naturally. So I'm like, let's tie this in because I really am learning more and more. And this is going to be like an, like a duh, obvious point, but fear stops so many people, so many people. And when you have that champion psychology, you, you don't, you are not stopped by fear. Well, let's go back to the, to the crappy childhood origins. I know that you know, there are ways that you can become great at therapy and helping people. And one of them is to go through some really bad stuff yourself and have to overcome it and, and draw on that within yourself. What was your experience like? Well, I started being my family's therapist around eight years old. I really started to observe uh behaviorisms and psychology probably around eight years old, more so for pr protection. So my trauma really started when my dad suddenly died. Right after my dad died, literally the rest of my family kind of died, minus my mom and my brother. So lots of funerals. Like it was, it was like my father and then uncles and aunts. I mean, it was like every week to every month to every year. It was intense. What, what precipitated that? Like what, how did that happen? Was it just coincidence that so many people were it was coincidence. 
And I do have to acknowledge that my dad had me when he was 61 years old. So he was already a little bit older, right? I mean, if we look at perspective, and so that means family members are going to be a little bit older too. And then some of it was just bad luck, I think, because some of the people who died were, you know, in their 50s. So not necessarily old or anything like that, but, you know, it just kind of happened. And when my dad died, unfortunately, I kind of lost my protector and my brother became really mean to me to the point of like sibling abuse type of stuff. And he had a very cruel way of being towards me, always wanted to kill me, always wanted to hurt me. And so I ended up moving out at 16 just to survive. And that gave you a sample of kind of echo trauma, like, you know, the trauma that he was going through losing his father and role model. He took out on you. Well, I don't know if that's we... necessarily true. He was always oh, kind okay. of a jerk to me. He is um, oh, more okay. of a psychopath type of individual, and psychopaths are born and sociopaths are created. So, Oh, I see. So at 16, where did you go? Uh, this is where I literally couch surfed. I'm not proud of some of the decisions, but pretty much anyone who allowed me to sleep on their couch, that's kind of where I went. And then I started kind of looking older than I really was. So I dated guys that I probably had no business dating, quite frankly. And I ended up kind of being their roommate or staying there. I just kind of jumped around, lived in my car for here and there moments, never really too long, 24 hour Walmart parking lots were where I would go. Yeah. Well, it's survival. Yeah. It was a matter of survival. We're sitting here in the comfort of our office and we're saying, you know, we're talking about progress as a professional might might say, I want to break a, a, a limitation, a glass ceiling. I want to assert myself more. Yeah. That's different from be experiencing childhood trauma or experiencing survival instincts and how to get through a crazy thing. I mean, a lot of us went through it with a pandemic. We, we, our survival instinct went on, but at the same time, a lot of our entrepreneurial instincts kicked in. Mm -hmm. Is there a parallel somehow between these two these two polars i think you can always Poles. learn something from life and i think you can always draw connection if if that's kind of you know we can make meaning out of anything is really what i'm trying to say in that aspect yeah you know the the cognitive skills to de to defeat sadness and depression are very different than the cognitive skills to develop optimism and to move forward so i think you can always learn from your past and then move forward but you know, the pandemic was scary for a lot of people, and I think it put a lot in perspective at the same time. And I think for some entrepreneurs, it's frustrating because we want to move faster than we really can. So sometimes that fear of the pandemic can also feed our decisions at work and vice versa, too, if that makes sense. Yeah. If fear were a, were a person, they would hate this show because... <laughs> We talk so much about it that if, if, if I were fear, if I were personified fear and I were w w watching this Truth Taste Funny show, I'd be like, what is their problem? Why don't they give, give me a break, man? I'm just trying to keep people from getting hurt. I just don't want people to get hurt because a lot of times we have to ask ourselves, what are we afraid of? Yeah. Where, where in your experience, where does that, that thing come from? You know, and I do stand-up comedy. My desire to do the stand-up is so great that it that it overcomes any fear that I might have. We have this thing in ourselves, a valve, that is so intense sometimes to the point of anxiety, right? Do you deal with people who maybe have 
panic attacks. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know that kind of thing. I'm always amazed by by the individuals who've never had a panic attack, and you know there are studies that your certain people's brains are wired differently. But yeah, I mean, I've yeah. spent the last few years really studying kind of those spiritual and emotional belief systems that really kind of create manifestations of physical symptoms. And, you know, you just gave a, a brilliant example of where your value of doing stand-up comedy is more important than that fear. And so when we're really clear on our values and we're really clear on where we're wanting to go and what we desire, it sometimes can be easier to move forward with fear. Now, for me, I've struggled with a handful of fears, uh, from fear of poverty to fear of failure to fear of discomfort to fear of rejection and fear of abandonment. I really try to look at the cores, and I think our fears can really be in a core. But at the end of the day, you know, everything we really want is on the other side of fear. And so at some point, you've got to say, do I really want this? And am I willing? And that's the key right there, that willingness to do what I need to do to get there. Because that's going to take discipline, and that's going to take objective thinking, and that's going to take almost intentionally um, separating yourself from some of those subjective and emotional fears or reasonings or meanings. Like, for instance, when you do stand-up comedy, if you're insecure with yourself and you see no laughs, meaning you suck, if that's the meaning you give it, then you might not continue moving forward. And I'm speaking you more, more generally there. And so I think you have to be very mindful of the narration you tell yourself, too, and sometimes we don't always see the results we want until we keep moving and moving and moving and moving and just hoping everything works out, you know? What are some of the strategies that you bring? And of course they differ as everybody's challenges differ, but what are, what are some of the things that have worked for you? Because I've seen, you know, in your background that you've had some tremendous success with business people, real estate people, trying to make deals. And within a few sessions, they obviously, they've gone out and actually done this thing yeah. that they wanted to do. What are some strategies you've employed? Well, if you've ever seen the show Billions, I work a little bit more like Wendy Rhodes and the performance therapy. So you have to remember true transformation and, and really why people go to therapy. It doesn't really matter what the therapist knows as so much as the connection with the, with the therapist that you have. That's really what's going to make the change. So I like to walk beside people to be their biggest cheerleader, to encourage them to be a safe space. But I also um, call what I see, right? Like if it's a black pot, it's a black pot. Let's move on. Let's be so objective in how we're talking about things. Let's label it. Let's. I work with a lot of individuals who are like linear analytical thinkers who need to understand like the engineering of why they're having some of their thoughts. And so we talk about it, we explain it, we break it down, and then we get really clear on what do you want, what are you willing to do, and we put it all on the cards, and then they move forward. But they don't move forward alone, they have someone there who's with them. And that partnership can be really transformational. The other thing is, um, I'm really quick at psychoanalyzing people, and so I kind of sometimes will tell them what their core fear is or what they're really struggling with, because sometimes our symptoms can fool us. And that helps them go like, okay, this is what it is. Let's move forward. And then just cheering them up and encouraging them. Like, if you really want to do this, are you willing to do the work? Sometimes they aren't. And then we've got to say, okay, then what do you really want to do? But it does come to some of the personal things of what they're struggling with and then creating that game plan and then having that accountability to just move forward and, and do it. And then there's a lot of neuroplasticity techniques I bring into my sessions to help them rewire their brain as well. And this is where it can be very personal, but it's also kind of feels contradicting because you're telling your brain one thing while you feel something completely different. And so you, you go like it, it's just complicated because your body might be saying, don't do it. 
but your brain is saying, no, I need to do it. It's like if you've ever bungee jumped or ever um, skydived, your body says, no, don't throw yourself out of the plane or off the ledge. But your brain's like, I got this. I'm good. And so it's really normalizing some of that discomfort. I'll also talk to them about what they're most likely going to experience as we move forward. Because I work with a lot of type A individuals and type A individuals who have perfectionism cannot stand to be uncomfortable. They hate that somatic sensation. And so it's setting them up for success to let them see what they're expecting and then being there when they need that moment or that cheerleader or that encouragement to move forward. And not in that codependent way, but in that tough love, if you really want this, this is what we're going to have to do. And then teaching them some optimism skills to move forward as well. Do you need someone to, to do that for you or are you able to do that for yourself in terms of your own mindset? Yeah. Um, so when somebody can call me out on my BS and my toxicity, I am very grateful. Very few people can do that. I don't mean to sound like arrogant or anything like that. I've just not run into that many people who have. So I'm grateful when I hear that. But no, I'm someone who can do it myself. I like to move forward and just go after it. You know, I've, I've allowed fear to stop me so much in my life. And I don't like that. And I'm as I learn and as I study and I see where I want to go and where I want to get to, I'm willing to put in the work and move forward. And at some point, you just got to cut all the dead fruit out of your life if you really want to move forward. So I, I thought it was very interesting when you said you were you were able to psychoanalyze people quickly. I have never done I have never really done psychoanalysis. I've never done therapy. I've done, you know, family, th like, you know, as a family kids, but just sitting in a room with a therapist, I've never, I've never done it. But now I'm doing this show. So I think I'm getting a little more comfortable with that idea. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm secretly going out of my comfort zone, but how would you approach it? If you, if, if you wanted to kind of analyze somebody and I, I'm sitting here talking to you, what, what, how does it work? Well, um, Typically, they tell me kind of what they're here for, like, what are their goals? What are they wanting? So, you know, I hear some face value, but it comes down to active listening. What are their linguistics? I'm looking for where are their impoverished areas of their brain and where are their overdeveloped areas of their brain? Because when I understand where your brain is overdeveloped and underdeveloped, I kind of can tell you all your issues at the end of the day, not necessarily to a T because we have to also acknowledge that humans are unique and I don't necessarily know everyone's experience and effective communication is really articulating the meaning you have with certain stuff. So some of that stuff I'm not going to necessarily know, but I've spent so much time as a personality theorist too, learning how to hear certain personality traits from doing about, I think I've been doing that for about seven years too now. That it's, it's very natural for me to hear and listen to people. I'm also a nerd, so I read so many books and do so much research and do so much studying because I'm very passionate about what I do to hone in my skills so I can collapse time. Because at the end of the day, like Freudian psychoanalytical approach, that's going to take years. We don't got years, you know. Some, some of these people need instant gratification and type A individuals, you know, they wanted it done five hours ago. They don't want to do it now. And so it's <laughs> how can we collapse time and... You know, I try to be my own guinea pig before I, you know, do it to somebody else because somebody's got to be the guinea pig at the end of the day, right? And so it's just learning and tweaking right. and observing. But, you know, I really tell people when I lived, when I was a kid, just studying and observing people just for my pr protection has really helped me. So 
while I've only been doing this for about seven years professionally, I've really been doing this for 28 years for safety and survival. And I just aggregate and I have like a elephant brain and I store things and I make connections and I see associations, but I also understand how the brain works. And so that makes it a little bit easier for me to psychoanalyze a person. And then a lot of this is just intuitive. I think sometimes therapists have a gift, doctors have a gift, whatever the profession is, sometimes you just have a gift. And this is one of my gifts. Right. And so you have the gift, but of course it's complemented by all of these various elements. And that's kind of what makes each of us, you know, whatever we bring to the party, it yeah. makes it different. You know, I can talk to a cross section of people who work in mental health, therapy, mindset, and I'm still always learning something from that, from that guest, something new. But to my previous question, can you, can you analyze me? Like, what do you get? What do you pick up? Or what, what are you, what are you perceiving? Just from a conversation well, like this. Well, um, I do know that you're a very loving man from just a conversation that we had about you and your daughter. And the fact that you're so willing to oh, right. um, move around. I'm going to make the assumption you probably have medium to high flexibility. You have high exhibition. You like being the center of attention. You probably have medium to high recognition because you probably enjoy having approval of humans or telling you that you've done a good job. You're most likely an extrovert. You might have introvert qualities if you have high autonomy. Not sure on that one. It seems like you're fairly ambitious and endurance as well. You've got some good leadership qualities as well that I'm seeing. Let's see. And it seems like you're also kind of coachable because you're willing to listen. You're willing to grow. So how did I do just with that quick little thing? Really, really well, I think. And really, and really quickly, like you say, um, you know, I think a lot of it, uh, like, uh, like I'm slowing down in my speech now because I'm like, oh, could I do, could I, I know I couldn't do that. And like I, part of my job as a host is also to read people, but it's yeah. very, very different, yeah. you know? my ability, like the way I was able to absorb what you do and introduce you based on what I did know about you is different from, you know, perceiving it based on our conversation and then turning around and spewing it out like that. So that that's very impressive because I think that that's another thing that you probably bring to all of these, all the work you do is the listening and the, and the ability to let people be themselves yeah. in front of you. And then, and then have you help them to their next, to their next step. What is the most challenging type of problem that, you know, fear we've spoken about as, as kind of a catch all almost for there's, it's associated with everything, but specifically like, you know, in terms of a challenge, can you think of something where you thought, oh man, this is going to be, this is just going to be a bitch. This, <laughs> this, uh, you know, what, what would you, what could you, uh, yes. And it, it really comes down to personality traits and it's the individual who has low trust, high autonomy and low coachability. I'm like, what do you want me to do? I can't fix you. If you're not going to trust me and you're going to challenge every single thing that I say, then that means you're unwilling to change at the end of the day. And, and it's really that unwillingness. If you're not willing to trust me or your therapist or your coach, then no, you're wasting your time. And in, in today's moment in history where people are polarized, where there's a lot of defensiveness and also a lot of aggression, are you 
having people come to you that you're either seeing them be having been affected by it or that actually are like worse than you maybe would have seen them you know, a few well, years ago. We are ago. seeing more and more individuals developing a hostile bias, meaning when they see ambiguous looks or comments, they take it to the negative. We're seeing that more and more. Social media mm -hmm. is obviously creating more depression and self-centered individuals and narcissistic qualities. You know, if I don't know someone before I meet them, I can't really make assumptions or judgments or anything like that. Pessimism is low trust at the end of the day. A lot of people don't want to see the correlation there. At the end of the day, no one can make you change. P therapists, coaches, friends, we can only really create the space for you to explore what's going on and create connections and challenge you and do the mirroring. At the end of the day, if you don't want to change, no one, no one can make you change. In terms of your personal experience where, you know, you, you left home and started this, this new life, um, I mean, I say a new life. Because you you had to you created right. something that wasn't yep. there before. Let's put it that way. What, if anything, did you did you take with you in terms of the relationships from your youth? Because we know how much that affects us as adults. So it's not like we can just shoot through a a, a rocket and like now we're now we're on another planet and none of that stuff ever happened. You take it with you. So so how did those relationships and other things evolve? After um, you that's a adult. great question. And I wish we could just like skyrocket through, right? That'd be amazing. For a while, I definitely had a victim self-pity mindset, 100%, you know, especially as I'm 18, 20, trying to figure out my life. What am I going to do with my life? Trying to understand the world. Because it took me probably till 25 to realize like, oh, I didn't have a normal childhood because you only know what you don't know. But for me, I reframed it. So my brother tried killing me many, many times as a child. Um, now, whether if it was just more psychological abuse or not, I heard I was stupid, fat, and ugly every single day of my life. I heard that he was going to kill me every single day of my life multiple times, and he did many attempts. I also had an eating disorder that should have killed me, too. And when I got out in perspective and was like, okay, I want to be the best person ever, I saw all of that as like, wow, I survived that. I survived this. For my eating disorder, I put my mind to it. I, I, this sounds messed up, and I'm not encouraging an eating disorder. It will destroy you. I just want to be very clear about that. But I very much wanted to have an eating disorder. I remember being like, I'm going to have an eating disorder. I remember having that thought, and it taught me, like, mind over matter is really true. And so I took a second, and I was like, wow, if I can have all of this negativity and do things to, like, hurt me, what could I do if I, like, flipped it? And went the opposite way. And then with my relationships with like my brother and my mother, I really became mindful of my narration. I forgive my brother 100%. I have no ill will towards him. Now, do I want to necessarily be around him? No, because he hasn't really changed. He has, but he hasn't. My mother, I love her 100%. Like, I couldn't imagine raising that child. And I couldn't imagine having my husband die on me and not be prepared. I think the more I've grown and the more I understand humanisms and psychology, the more I give people grace. You know, we've all had crap happen to us. And the way I see it is if I've hurt somebody and I want them to forgive me, then I need to do the same for those who've hurt me. Plus, forgiveness frees you. It doesn't free anyone else. And so I'm very grateful for the challenges that I've had in my past because it teaches you character. It teaches you endurance. It shows you what you're capable of. So I, I mean, I see problems as challenges, not necessarily problems. I mean, as long as you're breathing, have people in your life, you're going to have some sort of crap. 
the grace thing is a great point because a lot of times we say, oh, well, you know, treat, treat others how, how we'd want to be treated. But that's before the fact. This is after the fact. This is like, well, if you had treated someone terribly, you, you would want them to, to, be, to have some grace and give you a chance to improve or root for your, root for your success. You know, so if somebody's wronged you and, and, and done bad things, you know, have a little grace and a little, yeah. a little understanding. And don't over-personalize things. Um, That's the one thing I've learned is so many times we personalize other people's actions as if we had a bigger part in it than we really did. Like sometimes the just crumbles crappy. I had someone right before this call, I had a, a friend call me. We were talking about something and he had a client who, who called him and made a completely, you know, unreasonable request. You know, just ridiculous type of thing. And he was so agitated and he's much younger. And I was like, well, look, you know, that is, that's nothing to do with you. That person would have made that request of anyone and it's outrageous and you simply yeah. don't have to do it. It's not, this is nothing to do with you. You shouldn't, you sh it shouldn't get to you like that. And I'm, t I'm telling him because I'm like, this is going to come up all the time. You're going to have every now and then someone who has no boundaries in terms of what their expectations are, regardless of what's, I go, what matters is what is agreed upon. Th this person's mania has nothing to do yeah. with, with, with you, you know, and we forget that. And of course I can give that advice. And to my point earlier, I don't know that I would, 10 minutes later, I, I can get a call from someone and, and be like, okay, well, I oh, can't yeah, do so it. Either. I don't know what you want from me, you know, because we're, because we're, we're humans. So we're, we, we don't always take our advice. So I'm really appreciative of the time we have, but I do want to give the audience some, some advice that we can call upon when we start feeling that negativity, that, mm -hmm. that limiting belief creeping yeah. in whatever ours is, you know, uh, what, what's so something we can use? The first thing I tell people is identify your thinking errors, your thinking traps, your cognitive distortions, whatever word resonates with you. Because, you you know, we have 95% of our thoughts are the same every single day and 80 to 99% of them can be negative. So you have to at some point figure out what are your thinking errors. I do have a quiz on my website, ElizabethLewis.com, that will score you in your thinking errors. And this is just an awareness, awareness piece, right? Like, when do you think all or nothing? Is that something you're prone to? You said should. Are you a should thinker, right? Do you say should a lot? In, in your dialogue with yourself or externally, because that's going to be in, important clues to figure out how you think. The second thing you want to do is when you are realizing you're thinking negative, you need to combat that one negative thought with three to five positives. That's the ratio because you have to remember your brain is like a muscle, use it or lose it. You know, if you're trying to rewire your brain to be more positive, then you've got to put that focus, effort and attention in. And it's then always trying to find three to five positives for that one negative, which can take some time because your brain's going to be so used to being negative. So you might feel discomfort. You might feel a little bit more fatigue because the reality is, is when you go to worst case scenario, it's only fair to also go to best case scenario. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.